Chapter 4, Part 6 of Apologia Pro Vita Sua by John Henry Cardinal Newman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bill McGillivray. In the autumn of 1843, at the time that I spoke to Dr. Pusey, I asked another friend also to communicate in confidence to whom he would the prospect which lay before me. To another friend, Mr. James Hope, now Mr. Hope Scott, I gave the opportunity of knowing it, if he would, in the following postscript to a letter. While I write, I will add a word about myself. You may come near a person or two who, owing to circumstances, know more exactly my state of feeling than you do, though they would not tell you. Now I do not like that you should not be aware of this, though I see no reason why you should know what they happen to know. Your wishing it would be a reason. I had a dear and old friend near his death. I never told him my state of mind. Why should I unsettle that sweet, calm tranquillity when I had nothing to offer him instead? I could not say, go to Rome, else I should have shown him the way. Yet I offered myself for his examination. One day he led the way to my speaking out, but rightly or wrongly I could not respond. My reason was, I have no certainty on the matter myself. To say, I think, is to tease and to distress, not to persuade. I wrote to him on Michaelmas Day, 1843, As you may suppose, I have nothing to write to you about pleasant. I could tell you some very painful things, but it is best not to anticipate trouble, which after all can but happen, and, for what one knows, may be averted. You are always so kind that sometimes when I part with you I am nearly moved to tears, and it would be a relief to be so, at your kindness and at my hardness. I think no one ever had such kind friends as I have. The next year, January 22nd, I wrote to him, Pusey has quite enough on him, and generously takes on himself more than enough. For me to add burdens when I am not obliged particularly, too, when I am very conscious that there are burdens which I am or shall be obliged to lay upon him some time or other, whether I will or no. And on February 21st, half-past ten, I am just up, having a bad cold. The like has not happened to me, except twice in January, in my memory. You may think you have been in my thoughts long before my rising. Of course you are so continually as you well know. I could not come to see you, I am not worthy of friends, with my opinions to the full of which I dare not confess. I feel like a guilty person with others, though I trust I am not so. People kindly think that I have much to bear externally, disappointment, slander, etc. No, I have nothing to bear, but the anxiety which I feel for my friends' anxiety, for me and their perplexity. This is a better Ash Wednesday than birthday present. His birthday was the same day as mine, it was Ash Wednesday that year, but I cannot help writing about what is uppermost. And now, my dear B, all kindness and best wishes to you, my oldest friend, whom I must not speak more about, and with reference to myself, lest you should be angry. It was not in his nature to have doubts, he used to look at me with anxiety and wonder what had come over me. On Easter Monday, 
all that's good and gracious descends upon you and yours from the influence of this blessed season and it will be so so be it for what is the life of you all as day passes after day but a simple endeavour to serve him from whom all blessings comes though we are separated in place yet this we have in common that you are living a calm and cheerful time and i am enjoying the thoughts of you it is your blessing to have a clear heaven and peace around according to the blessing pronounced on benjamin footnote deuteronomy thirty three twelve end of footnote so it is my dear b and so may it ever be he was in simple good faith he died in september of the same year i had expected that his last illness would have brought light to my mind as to what i ought to do it brought none i made a note which runs thus i saw bitterly over his coffin to think that he left me still dark as to what the way of truth was and what i ought to do in order to please god and fulfil his will i think i wrote to charles marriott to say that at that moment with the thought of my friend before me my strong view in favour of rome remained just what it was on the other hand my firm belief that grace was to be found within the anglican church remained too footnote on this subject vide my third lecture on anglican difficulties also note e anglican church end of footnote i wrote to another friend thus september sixteenth eighteen forty four i am full of wrong and miserable feelings which it is useless to detail so grudging and sullen when i should be thankful of course when one sees so blessed an end and that the termination of so blameless a life of one who really fed on our ordinance and got strength from them and sees the same continued in a whole family the little children finding quite a solace of their pain in the daily prayer it is impossible not to feel more at ease in our church as at least a sort of zor a place of refuge and temporary rest because of the steepness of the way only may we be kept from unlawful security lest we have moab and ammon for our progeny the enemies of israel i could not continue in this state either in the light of duty or of reason my difficulty was this i had been deceived greatly once how could i be sure that i was not deceived a second time i thought myself right then how was i to be certain that i was right now how many years had i thought myself sure of what i now rejected how could i ever again have confidence in myself as in eighteen forty i listened to the rising doubt in favour of rome now i listened to the waning doubt in favour of the anglican church to be certain is to know that one knows what inward test had i that i should not change again after that i had become a catholic i had still apprehension of this though i thought a time would come when it would depart however some limit ought to be put on these vague misgivings i must do my best and then leave it to a higher power to prosper it so at the end of eighteen forty four i came to the resolution of writing an essay on doctrinal development and then if at the end of it my conviction in favour of the roman church were not weaker of taking the necessary steps for admission into her fold by this time the state of my mind was generally known and i made no great secret of it i will illustrate it by letters of mine 
which have been put into my hands. November 16, 1844. I am going through what must be gone through, and my trust only is that every day of pain is so much taken from the necessary draft which must be exhausted. There is no fear, humanly speaking, of my moving for a long time yet. This has got out without my intending it, but it is all well. As far as I know myself, my one great distress is the perplexity, unsettlement, alarm, skepticism, which I am causing to so many, and the loss of kind feelings and good opinion on the part of so many, known and unknown, who have wished well to me. And of these two sources of pain, it is the former that is the constant, urgent, unmitigated one. I had for days a literal ache all about my heart, and from time to time all the complaints of the psalmist seemed to belong to me. And as far as I know myself, my one paramount reason for contemplating a change is my deep, unvarying conviction that our church is in schism, and that my salvation depends on my joining the Church of Rome. I may use argumenta ad hominem to this person or that, footnote, vide supra, page 219, etc., letter of October 14, 1843, compared with that of October 25th, end of footnote. But I am not conscious of resentment or disgust at anything that has happened to me. I have no vision whatever of hope, no scheme of action, in any other sphere more suited to me. I have no existing sympathies with Roman Catholics. I hardly ever, even abroad, was at one of their services. I know none of them. I do not like what I hear of them. And then, how much am I giving up in so many ways, and to me sacrifices irreparable, not only from my age, when people hate changing, but from my especial love of old associations and the pleasure of memory. Nor am I conscious of any feeling, enthusiastic or heroic, of pleasure in the sacrifice. I have nothing to support me here. What keeps me yet is what has kept me long, a fear that I am under a delusion. But the conviction remains firm under all circumstances, in all frames of mind, and this most serious feeling is growing on me, namely that the reasons for which I believe as much as our system teaches must lead me to believe more, and that not to believe more is to fall back into skepticism. A thousand thanks for your most kind and consoling letter. Though I have not yet spoken of it, it was a great gift. Shortly after I wrote to the same friend thus, my intention is, if nothing comes upon me, which I cannot foresee, to remain quietly in status quo for a considerable time, trusting that my friends will kindly remember me and my trial in their prayers, and I should give up my fellowship some time before anything further took place. There was a lady, now a nun of the visitation, to whom at this time I wrote the following letters. 1. November 7, 1844. I am still where I was. I am not moving. Two things, however, seem plain that every one is prepared for such an event, next that every one expects it of me. Few, indeed, who do not think it suitable, fewer still who do not think it likely. However, I do not think it either suitable or likely. I have very little reason to doubt about the issue of things, but the when and the how are known to him from whom I trust, 
both the course of things and the issue come. The expression of opinion in the latent and habitual feelings about me, which is on every side and among all parties, has great force. I insist upon it, because I have a great dread of going by my own feelings, lest they should mislead me. By one sense of duty one must go, but external facts support one in doing so. 2. January 8, 1845. What am I to say in answer to your letter? I know perfectly well I ought to let you know more of my feelings and state of mind than you do know. But how is it possible in a few words? Anything I say must be abrupt. Nothing can I say which will not leave a bewildering feeling as needing so much to explain it, and being isolated and, as it were, unlocated, and not having anything with it to show its bearing upon other parts of the subject. At present, my full belief is, in accordance with your letter, that if there is a move in our church, very few persons indeed will be partners to it. I doubt whether one or two at the most among the residents at Oxford, and I don't know whether I can wish it. The state of the Roman Catholic is at present so unsatisfactory. This I am sure of, that nothing but a simple direct call of duty is a warrant for any one leaving our church, no preference of another church, no delight in its service, no hope of greater religious advancement in it, no indignation, no disgust at the persons and things among which we may find ourselves in the Church of England. The simple question is, can I, it is personal, not whether another, but can I, be saved in the English Church? Am I in safety were I to die to-night? Is it a mortal sin in me not joining another communion? P.S. I hardly see my way to concur in attendance, though occasional, in a Roman Catholic chapel, unless a man has made up his mind pretty well to joining it eventually. Invocations are not required in the Church of Rome. Somehow I do not like using them except under the sanction of the Church, and this makes me unwilling to admit them in members of our church. 3. March 30. Now I will tell you more than anyone knows except two friends. My own convictions are as strong as I suppose they can become, only it is so difficult to know whether it is a call of reason or of conscience. I cannot make out if I am impelled by what seems clear or by a sense of duty. You can understand how painful this doubt is, so I have waited, hoping for light, and using the words of the psalmist, show some token upon me. But I suppose I have no right to wait forever for this. Then I am waiting because friends are most considerately bearing me in mind and asking guidance for me, and I trust I should attend any new feelings which came upon me, should that be the effect of their kindness and then this waiting subserves the purpose of preparing men's minds. I dread shocking, unsettling people. Anyhow, I can't avoid giving incalculable pain. So, if I had my will, I should like to wait till the summer of 1846, which would be a full seven years from the time that my convictions first began to fall on me. But I don't think I shall last so long. My present intention is to give up my fellowship in October and to publish some work or treaties between that and Christmas. I wish people to know why I am acting as well as what I am doing. It takes off that vague and distressing surprise. What can have made him? 4. June 1. 
what you tell me of yourself makes it plain that it is your duty to remain quietly and patiently till you see more clearly where you are else you are leaping in the dark in the early part of this year if not before there was an idea afloat that my retirement from the anglican church was owing to my distress that i had been so thrust aside without any one taking my part various measures were i believe talked of in consequence of this surmise coincidentally with it appeared an exceedingly kind article about me in a quarterly in its april number the writer praised me in kind and beautiful language far above my deserts in the course of his remarks he said speaking of me as vicar of st mary's he had the future race of clergy hearing him did he value and feel tender about and clinging to his position not at all no sacrifice to him perhaps he did not care about such things there was a censure implied however covertly in these words and it is alluded to in the following letter addressed to a very intimate friend april third eighteen forty five accept this apology my dear church and forgive me as i say so tears come into my eyes that arise from the accident of this time when i am giving up so much i love just now i have been overset by james mosley's article in the remembrancer yet really my dear church i have never for an instant had even the temptation of repenting my leaving oxford the feeling of repentance has not even come into my mind how could it how could i remain at st mary's a hypocrite how could i be answerable for souls and life so uncertain with the conviction or at least persuasions which i had upon me it is indeed a responsibility to act as i am doing and i feel his hand heavy on me without intermission who is all wisdom and love so that my heart and mind are tired out just as the limbs might be of a load on one's back that sort of dull aching pain is mine but my responsibility really is nothing to what it would be to be answerable for souls for confiding loving souls in the english church with my convictions my love to marriott and save me the pain of sending him a line i am now close upon the date of my reception into the catholic church at the beginning of the year a letter had been addressed to me by a very dear friend now no more charles marriott i quote some sentences from it for the love which i bear him and the value that i set on his good word january fifteenth eighteen forty five you know me well enough to be aware that i never see through any things at first your letter to Baddeley cast a gloom over the future which you can understand if you understood me as i believe you have but i may speak out at once of what i see and feel at once and doubt not that i shall ever feel that your whole conduct towards the church of england and towards us who have striven and are still striving to seek after god for ourselves and to revive true religion among others under her authority and guidance has been generous and considerate and were the word appropriate dutiful to a degree that i could scarcely have conceived possible more unsparing of self than i should have thought nature could sustain i have felt with pain every link that you have severed and i have asked no questions because i felt that you ought to measure the disclosure of your thoughts according to the occasion and the capacity of those to whom you spoke 
I write in haste in the midst of engagements engrossing in themselves, but partly made tasteless, partially embittered by what I have heard. But I am willing to trust even you, whom I love best on earth, in God's hand, in the earnest prayer that you may be so employed as is best for the Holy Catholic Church. In July, a bishop thought it worth while to give out to the world that the adherents of Mr. Newman's are few in number. A short time will now probably suffice to prove this fact. It is well known that he is preparing for secession, and, when that event takes place, it will be seen how few will go with him. I had begun my essay on the development of doctrines in the beginning of 1845, and I was hard at it all through the year till October. As I advanced, my difficulties so cleared away that I ceased to speak of the Roman Catholics, and boldly called them Catholics. Before I got to the end, I resolved to be received, and the book remains in the state in which it was then unfinished. One of my friends at Littlemore had been received into the church on Michaelmas Day at the Passionate House at Aston, near Stone, by Father Dominic, the superior. At the beginning of October, the latter was passing through London to Belgium, and, as I was in the same perplexity, what steps to take for being received myself, I assented to the proposition made to me that the good priest should take little more on his way, with a view to his doing for me the same charitable services as he had done to my friend. On October the 8th, I wrote to a number of friends the following letter. Littlemore, October 8th, 1845. I am this night expecting Father Dominic, the Passionist, who, from his youth, has been led to have distinct and direct thoughts, first of the countries of the North, then of England. After thirty years, almost, waiting, he was, without his own act, sent here. But he has little to do with conversions. I saw him here for a few minutes on St. John's Baptist Day last year. He is a simple, holy man, and withal gifted with remarkable powers. He does not know of my intentions, but I mean to ask of him admission into the one fold of Christ. I have so many letters to write that this must do for all who choose to ask about me. With my best love to dear Charles Marriott, who is over your head, etc., etc. P.S. This will not go till all is over. Of course it requires no answer. For a while after my reception, I proposed to betake myself to some secular calling. I wrote thus in answer to a very gracious letter of congratulations sent me by Cardinal Acton. November twenty fifth, 1845. I hope you will have anticipated, before I express it, the great gratification which I received from your eminence's letter. That gratification, however, was tempered by the apprehension that kind and anxious well-wishes at a distance attach more importance to my step than really belong to it. To me, indeed, personally, it is, of course, an inestimable gain, but persons and things look great at a distance, which are not so when seen close, and did your eminence know me, you would see that I was one about whom there has been far more talk for good and bad than he deserves, and about whose movement far more expectations has been raised than the event will justify. As I never, I do trust, aimed at anything else than obedience to my own sense of right, and have been magnified into the leader of a party, without my wishing it or acting as such, so now, much as I may wish to the contrary, and earnestly as I may labor, as is my duty, 
to minister in a humble way to the catholic church yet my powers will i fear disappoint the expectations of both my own friends and those who pray for the peace of jerusalem if i might ask of your eminence a favour it is that you would kindly moderate those anticipations would it were in my power to do what i do not aspire to do at present certainly i cannot look forward to the future and though it would be a good work if i could persuade others to do as i have done yet it seems as if i had quite enough to do in thinking of myself soon dr wiseman in whose vicarate oxford lay called me to oscott and i went there with others afterwards he sent me to rome and finally placed me in birmingham i wrote to a friend january twentieth eighteen forty six you may think how lonely i am oblivisere poplum tuum et dominum patris tui has been in my ears for the last twelve hours i realize more that we are leaving littlemore and it is like going on the open sea i left oxford for good on monday february twenty third eighteen forty six on the saturday and sunday before i was in my house at littlemore simply by myself as i had been for the first day or two when i had originally taken possession of it i slept on sunday night at my dear friend's mr johnson's at the observatory various friends came to see the last of me mr copeland mr church mr buckley mr patterson and mr lewis dr pusey too came to take leave of me and i called on dr ogley one of my very oldest friends for he was my private tutor when i was an undergraduate in him i took leave of my first college trinity which was so dear to me and which held on its foundation so many who had been kind to me both when i was a boy and all through my oxford life trinity had never been unkind to me there used to be much snapdragon growing on the walls opposite my freshman rooms there and i had for years taken it as the emblem of my own perpetual residence even unto the death in my university on the morning of the twenty-third i left the observatory i have never seen oxford since excepting its spires as they are seen from the railways footnote at length i revisited oxford on february twenty sixth eighteen seventy eight after an absence of just thirty-two years vide additional note at the end of the volume end of footnote end of chapter four